I'm Ryan Johnson. I'm Tyler Schmidt. I'm Lou Janu. And this is Car Talk, a podcast about trading cards. We're here to teach you everything you need to know about flipping cards. Whether it's the next breakout rookie, a new Magic the Gathering release on the way, or Pokemon's 25th anniversary, we'll break it all down. So sit back and listen up. Those cards collecting dust in your closet could make you some real cash. Welcome to Card Talk. All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Card Talk. I'm Ryan, joined as always by Tyler and Lou. Lou, fresh off a plane from the Houston Astros World Series win last night, is here and joining us in the flesh, motivated for this episode as this is a bonus Card Talk episode. We are going to sit down with Nat Turner and chat all things cards, collectibles, PSA, what he collects, video games, video games. What else are we talking about? We talked about a little NFT digital collectible. Got a word out of there. We talked about pricing. Great combo. I really enjoyed it. I think everyone will as well. A lot of good little pieces that I don't think you typically hear from the head of a big company. Like, I really think he was pretty honest and like pretty direct, which I appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Very open. Seems like a real genuine guy. Yeah. I, I, I had a blast. That was fun. I learned a lot. Like you said, Lou, just just seemed to be willing to share almost anything you asked. Like it wasn't anything like, Hey, we can't talk about this. We can't talk about this. I mean, he was pretty open. Like, Hey, we're here. We want to be here. We have these intentions. This is what we want to do. So I enjoyed it. It was a, it was definitely one of my favorite interviews we've done. He's a collector and he's for the collectors. I'll say that. Let's get into the interview. We are sitting down with Nat Turner, the CEO and executive chairman for Collectors Universe. So Nat, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nat, I do want to ask because a lot of our audience knows Nat Turner uh, from the more recent years as the person that bought PSA, right? Is involved in Collectors Universe, among many other things. But I don't know if everybody necessarily knows your story about Nat Turner pre-PSA and what that might look like. I'm just curious if you would... uh, be interested in sharing what your journey might have been like before that. Uh, sure. Yeah, I was. Uh, I am an entrepreneur. Um, I grew up in Texas, largely. Um, go Astros! I see the. Let's uh, go. Lou's Lo- <laughs> fresh in off a of flight. Here yeah, I literally. Games. Yeah, I yeah. was. I was at the first two. So yeah, I grew up a uh, big baseball fan, going to a lot of Astros games, and then got into cards, or maybe five or six years old, and then kind of never stopped collecting maybe a couple of years in college, although not really, I was doing LeBron, LeBron cards then too. Um, started my first company. I'm a kind of like a software guy. So I do uh, design and, and a little bit of engineering. And so I'm really into kind of software technology building. Um, started a company, actually had a couple of companies in high school, nothing, nothing crazy, but you know, would web design stuff, uh, had a card business, <laughs> And then started a company in 2007 to do online advertising uh, optimization for ad agencies, which is pretty boring stuff. I didn't really enjoy it. So we, we got out of that, uh, my, my business partner and I, and we started a company in cancer. Uh, we had a, a family situation in cancer, like, like most people, and, and we got inspired and, and started a software company in cancer. I uh, sold that in 2018. Uh, and then we had a three-year deal. So I was kind of hanging out there doing the integration and and had a, I, I don't know, a moment of weakness or, or a moment of enlightenment and decided to get into the card business again, you know, as my next thing. So here we are. Yeah, that was actually going to be 
the thing I wanted to get into. Was there like a specific moment for you that you were like, oh, wait, like obviously there were some rumors about PSA and like, were they going to become available and all that stuff? Um, was there a specific moment that you were like, oh, wait, like we could just put together a group and just buy the company? Yeah, well, I remember where I was. I was in North Carolina. It was post COVID had just kind of gone off. This was like March um, last year. Uh, my wife and I and our kids, we, we actually moved down to North Carolina from New York for the summer uh, to just get out of city. And, and so I was with my parents and my mom. I mean, literally, I had probably hundreds of thousands of cards as a kid and nothing of value per se, but, you know, just base card galore. And, you know, like all the good cards were kind of beat up, you know, they were in binder sheets that I had transferred a hundred times and whatever, but, you know, a lot of Jordan base cards and Kobe stuff. So I was, I had them, they were all, my mom wheeled them out. She's like, by the way, when you guys leave and whenever that is, you're taking all this with you. And so I was basically organizing frankly, throwing some things away. I had my five-year-old at the time son going, you know, helping me like pick out players. And, and I was just I was having so much fun with it. I was kind of like reconnected. I was, I was in like a, a, not to get like sappy or whatever, but I was in kind of like a low point collecting wise. I, I was kind of like looking for something, you know, I was doing some sets, but like the hobby was kind of boring at the time. This is like two years ago in my, in my opinion, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of this, a lot of the same, and I was just like, you know, this is really fun, like getting back into set building and like, you know, having a checklist and like, you know, I forgot the physical nature of cards. You can get caught up in like, you know, scanning the card and just looking at pictures of it and then like talking about it, like actually like physically building raw sets and going through is just a lot of fun. So I remember then I was like, you know, maybe I'll do something in cards next because I was trying to think about what's next. And I called a friend of mine. Uh, which was not so dissimilar to years before when, when I was doing the cancer thing, I was like, Hey, is it like crazy to think, you know, that maybe like PSA slash collector's universe is something we could go after. He was, and he, you know, like before he was like, yes, you know, it is crazy. I was like, all, right, all right, fine. And then, you know, I call, I called some friends of mine who, who were um, kind of interested in supporting whatever I did next. And I was like, Hey, crazy idea. And and it became not so crazy within a few weeks. You know, I had about half the, well, at the time the stock price was lower, but about half the money mm -hmm. lined up, including my own. Um, it ended up getting more expensive and more complicated, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was running up there. Yeah, it, it was it, running it was, up there for yeah, sure. That was, you know, late March, early April. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go right at this question. Software, you know, I think we, a lot of emails come in, talk to a lot of people. There's a bunch of entrepreneurs, AI grading computer vision what have you what's your take on on where that goes right obviously humans are a factor in grading right and humans have emotions and all that jazz and we talk about that at length you know a human comes in on a tuesday maybe he looks at a card differently than he does on a wednesday how what's you or she or she for sure or they um or they where what's your where's your head at on that as a as a collector yeah. And then also as a business operator of PSA. Yeah. So look, we acquired, it's no secret. We acquired a company called Genement, uh, I think back in April or May this year. And I, I, I believe, well, a couple of things. It's, it's, I don't believe it's going to do everything like some people think. I don't think you were going to, I don't, we don't want to replace the human element in grading. Card grading is actually really hard and it's an artisan process. And I don't think there's not many artisan processes, artisanal things that you can replace with computers and software you know, Agreed. Um, you know, writing, you know, there's a lot of things that yes, you computers can kind of, you know, help 
like spell check. And, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, that's actually a good analogy because in card grading, there's, there are things that computers can really help a human grader be better at and be faster at. So for example, calculating centering, for example, detecting uh, counterfeits, you know, if there's a pattern of the counterfeits down to the pixel level where you can identify maybe the distance between pixels is greater with counterfeits than not, or maybe the gloss or whatever, um, you computers can really learn that over time. And frankly, just allow the the human grader to not even waste their time looking at a counterfeit card because you can just, you know, just fail it and then move on. But when you're in the grading room, you'll see there's a, there's a million edge cases and computers will only get you so far. And so, but it's a good safety net. I kind of think of it as a, we call it technology assisted grading, uh, where we're trying to supplement the human process. And, and I personally think companies or startups, whatever, that think they can automate it entirely. Maybe that's true for like, you know, 2019 prison low value cards, which no one's messing with. But, you know, when you get into vintage cards that perhaps be large size variances, like you can't, you know, it's just not going to happen. Um, computerized grading, I mean, it'll help. It won't. To supplement the, the, the human aspect of it. Yeah, it's all about making it better and faster, but it's, it's not going to replace it. What's it been like uh, operating in terms of just the massive expansion? Obviously, there's labor constraints, COVID, everything. And then you're in a business where demand just went insane. And a lot of it is, again, based on, on human. What's that been like as just an operator? Yeah. You know, from the outside, everyone's got their take, right? Everyone <laughs> thinks they know what you're up to and, and how y'all are playing it. Um, what, what's that, that process been like? Well, I'm hiding in a supply closet somewhere in our office in California. Right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't even have an office. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. I mean, look, any, when anyone has their, their, my new favorite thing is when anyone comments on, you know, how crappy of a job we're doing, I just, I give them a link to our careers page and say, Hey, you can, you know, we're hiring. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> yeah, our, exactly. our, our biggest problem is that it's, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just hard to find talent, um, you know, people, you know, obviously during a pandemic, there's a lot of reasons why job switching mm-hmm. or just not interested in working or whatever. It, it's, it's hard. And so our solution is through new offices. So we're opening a big new office in New Jersey. Um, we're also opening a couple international locations that will allow us, you know, not every talented card grader lives in Southern California. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish, you know, cause that's where we have 90 plus percent of our square footage, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hiring issue, but we're growing despite that super fast. I mean, we're hiring, you know, I think well over 10 or 12 people a week still, despite being suspended. So largely on the grading team, uh, also research, you know, where we're researching cards. We're also hiring a lot of engineering product managers. Um, you know, that's something that we're going to be doing no matter what, if we're suspended or not, you know, we don't need people to open boxes and shipping right now because, you know, uh, we're largely suspended on receiving shipping, we still need people because we're obviously working through the backlog, but, you know, imaging, you know, we're imaging every card now before and after grading. Lou was pumped about that yesterday. I saw that by accident and I was so pumped. Well, yeah, we don't like pump our chests on these things, but you know, if you're in the set registry, you know, if you submitted a card since February, you're going to have a picture of it. And it's really cool. Uh, And by the way, just to give you a sense of scale, you know, we're grading 40,000 plus cards a day now. 
So, and by the way, you have to take a picture of the front and the back. <laughs> oh, and by the way, before and after grading. So yeah. all of a sudden you multiply the number by four. So it's a lot of image. Actually, the cool scanner we're using is right behind my uh, wall here, right over here. Talk about file management. Yeah. Crazy. Anyways, the thing is we're growing really fast, as fast as we can. We know, look, we want to be open more than anybody. It's, we have a lot of people here who, you know, are in research or receiving or just itching for those boxes to start coming back. And we know it'll be an avalanche like it was earlier this year. People are telling us that, you know, by and large, people are waiting, you know, with the cards, which is what we love to hear, but we owe it to them to get open. And, um, you know, we're not that far away. So we're making I love progress. it. Uh, at the risk of hijacking all the questions, and then I'll hand it over to these guys. But when you say, you know, open, I think what we talk a lot about is, is what does that mean? Right. I've had my take, Ryan, everyone, obviously the set registry matters, but like price point, entry price mm -hmm. point, where do you see that going? Our goal is to get it back to where it was. You know, I think there's a lot of cards that don't make sense to grade if it's, you know, unless it's $10. Um, that's where we want to get back to. Are we going to get back there this year? Probably not. Are we going to get back there in Q1? Doubtful. And the only reason is that we cannot do that. We cannot make the same mistake we made this year which is have demand be two or three times that of our capacity. Because what happens when you do that is the backlog starts to pile up and turnaround times start to suffer. So our plan, instead of limiting how many cards you can send in, is going to be to limit demand based on price. It'll be a mixture of the two. Um, so to give you a sense, you know, we are thinking, hey, if you have a set that you're trying to build and you're missing 100 cards, yes, feel free to submit those 100 cards at a discounted rate. That is actually something we're working on. It's hard to do that with technology. You have to connect the submission center to the set registry to know, you know, and connect, mm -hmm. make sure those are the same cards. But, um, you know, that's an example. We are working on a technology that allows kind of like, not, not so much a raffle, but a, a rate limiting system where we can say, hey, you know, in the month of December, we're going to allow, I'm just making this up, 50,000 cards to come in at 20 bucks, you know, where the list price may be just making this up 100. Bots are gonna. Well, that's why we, all yeah, Discord cook groups. Yeah. So we getting into that. Yeah, that's why we're 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 being really. You know, we have to be really thoughtful. We don't want you know, the wrong not, not that there's wrong people or right people, but you know, we don't yeah. want one person to just game it. Correct. Everything. Just, um, so we're we're thinking through all that stuff. Um, our goal though is when we reopen is to kind of somewhat match you know our capacity at that time to demand so that we can keep turnaround times to the advertised levels. So, love it. Boys, over to you. Yeah, I was going to say, that was one of the things I wanted to ask is, was, was that because it, that I think that's the thing we get asked the most is like, is PSA ever going to bring back the $10 option? No. And I, I think I've, I will, uh, I will admit I've been skeptical of it because that seems like, you know, like you just mentioned that if, if we open that back up Q1, it just seems like we'd be in the same boat again yeah. that you guys were in 18 months ago and it would shut down all over again because I'm sure the demand for PSA grading right now, especially at a $10 to $12 price point, would just be absolutely astronomical. Yeah, look, it's just a capacity issue. We need to get, and it's on us and we're doing it. That's why we're opening new offices and we're hiring crazy like crazy here in California. Once we get our capacity, which it's growing every single week, once that, every, every week we're getting, you know, more confident that capacity is getting closer to demand. We're definitely growing our capacity faster than demand, I would say. So mm -hmm. we're catching up. And so once that number, okay. once that capacity allows us to open up without getting, you know, flooded with cards we can't grade because of, you know, the capacity being low, we'll lower the price. I mean, that's absolutely the plan. We just have to get capacity higher. Love it. Now, Nat, one thing I, uh, 
I wanted to ask more like a one-off question, not necessarily to PSA, more to you is I've seen a lot of your, like I follow you on, on social and I've seen some of your like pack and box opening um, that you post. And I know you've done, uh, you did a pack a while back, an expensive pack with Darren Ravel. 54 Bellman, yeah. Yep. So I'm just more curious, like what's kind of as a collector, right? What's your grail pack or box that you want to open? They want to open? Oh, wow. I don't know if I want to open any of this stuff. Well, the, um, for me, the grail boxes and packs are things that I wouldn't open. The grail pack for me is a 51 Bowman baseball box. Sorry, 58 tops technically, because I'm doing a 51 through 89 tops run of PSA graded packs and I'm missing 58. It's the only one I'm missing. So I need that one. But in Bowman, which I have 52, I don't have a 53 Bowman. I want 51 and 53 Bowman baseball packs. Boxes, a 59 wax box. That'd be freaking awesome. Pops. In basketball, the boxes I'm missing um, aren't very, there aren't that many. The ones I would open, I mean, I just opened one, but the 97 metal basketball. PMG life. Yeah, I didn't get a PNG. So it's less about like opening the box. I, I have this weird thing where I want to pull, like, I don't care who the player is. Like I've been opening EX for years, 97, because I wanted to pull a credentials and a Jambalaya. And I finally did. And now I have like no interest in opening that. Yeah. So like the 90s. <laughs> you reached the mountaintop. Like I don't care anymore. The 90s, I still have the boxes, but the 97 finest, I've opened freaking 50 of those, like the the angular shape box because i want to pull an embossed refractor out of 74 i never have and then i sold five boxes to a friend of mine and he freaking pulled and he pulled it yeah so like antonio mcdice that would have been amazing but yeah, cool. i want to pull a pmg red or green from i pulled one as a kid the green kittles but i want to pull one now in the um 97 metal i pulled a 98 a pmg out of 98 i have not pulled a championship pmg which is probably on the list too 97 championship I don't know if that answered your question, but that was-, <laughs> yeah. that was actually perfect. That couldn't have been a better answer, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> I do want to ask you about WADA a little bit, but I did also want to quickly touch on when things did shut down originally, there was obviously like a pretty substantial amount of pushback. I think that's fair to say from like the collector community. I don't know. We got a, it was more positive than negative, honestly. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's Either. fair. It's probably the loud, louder minority. That's probably a fair, a fair way to put it. Do you think that i mean obviously now that you're saying you guys have you're trying to adjust the approach do you think there was anything you could have done differently you kind of needed to just like rip the band-aid off and just shut it down for a while people probably won't like this answer but we should have raised prices sooner because that would have tempered demand and that would have reduced the number of cards come in which would allow turnaround times to be lower without shutting down that's probably what we should have done um i was hesitant to do that because we had just taken the company private it just acquired it i didn't want that to be like it was the necessary move. It would have had nothing to do with our investor goals or anything. It, would, it's, it was the right thing to do because, you know, for a while there we were receiving, I mean, this might scare you, but we were receiving over a hundred thousand cards a day, every single day from Crazy. January 1st until we closed. And on a single day in March, we received 660,000 cards. A single day. <laughs> and like, that's the kind of stuff that happens when you're at $10 a card yeah. and there's a lot of collectors and that's great. It's a beautiful thing, but we can't grade a hundred thousand cards a day, let alone 660,000 cards a day. So we should, the way to temper demand, like, and like if you, if anyone took economics, there's like supply and demand, you just raise price to re- reduce demand. 
that's it's the simplest way to do it. It has nothing to do with a money grab. It's literally just we can't get your cards graded. So therefore, right. and we can't say don't send them to us because then you know no one no one will listen. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's what that's what we should have. Interesting. The WADA acquisition came out of where talk to me a little bit about uh, that right obviously video games growing huge he, if you're if you're listening he's rocking a little wad of hoodie right now we've had a lot of fun you know playing in that world a little bit and then boom felt like there was bubbles bubbles and then the acquisition do you have a you affinity for games what kind of led led to that yeah i'm not a game guy i actually never owned a game console growing up i, I my parents wow. were kind of anti anti that and I never really missed it. I don't know. It was never a thing. But then you got into software, which is like a... Yeah. Well, I played PC games, Age of Empires. I remember um, the little tournament, that kind of stuff. Yep. didn't require yep. a, con- a console. But basically, the, the reason we bought Wada, it's, it's, there's actually a lot of crossover. So a lot of people who collect cards collect games, especially because they're sports games too, as you know. So, and that's, mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, by the way, as an aside, I think that's a huge investment opportunity. I think Zelda and that stuff, great. But Madden and like all indie stuff, like, yeah, I mean, the Madden cover was like such a huge thing yeah. every year. Like the original um, Mike Tyson game, like Punch, like those are these mm-hmm. are real crossover, yeah. you know, relation with PSA. So that was what piqued our interest. And then the other thing is that games actually are very similar to uh, unopened boxes and that, you know, there's in cards where there's seals, there's packaging, there's, you know, complete in box, there's components to it that you're, you need. And, you know, there's a big difference in value between, a sealed box and unsealed box and, and like boxes and cards, most kids open them back in the eighties the and nineties, similar to boxes and cards. And so there's scarcity, which has a lot of similarity to what we already know. And so things like population reports, set registry, just the price guide, like all that stuff and, and encapsulation, by the way. So like people don't want their sneakers encapsulated or their watches, you know, but boxes of cards, uh, boxes of games, boxes, you know, Funko dolls, like that kind of stuff is very, lends itself to plastic encapsulation, which is at the end of the day, what we do at Collector's Universe and PSA. And so that was another reason it kind of lends itself to our model. But yeah, we, we were, we were talking with them well before the price run up of uh, mm-hmm. the car of the games, excuse me. And I think that was a pleasant surprise to see. It's not surprising because scarcity, and then you have so many people like our age that grew up with this stuff, not me, but grew up with it. And then make a little money and you're like, just like cards, you're like, Oh, I'd, re- I'd really want to own like the finest Zelda game. Like, you know, it's, there's a lot of similarities to what we do at PSA. So that's why we did it. Do you foresee the way you mentioned Funko pops, Funko dolls is interesting. Is, is Do you foresee all of that coming under one roof the way you have PSA as it's set up? Or do you think that it'll operate in its, in a silo as in like Waddle will be its own website forever. And then PSA will be its own website forever. Do you see that? Or do you think it'll become one under one roof? As of right now, we're keeping them separate, separate brands. You know, what a stands for, we are the authority. We want them to be the authority on um, pop culture. So, you know, games, toys, potentially, you know, things that are less sports related uh, and more pop culture. Related. There will be some crossover. So, for example, um, Funko, you know, people are getting those signed by Mike Trout and these people. And so we're, we're authenticating those at PSA because that's where our autograph division is. So maybe we have a what a DNA thing. We're not sure yet. We're still thinking all that through, but as of right now, there are two brands, you know, what is a very strong brand for games. We're not, we don't want to mess with that. So now we've talked a lot on this show, um, this interview so far about like acquisitions, right? Mostly around collector's universe and, uh, Gemma and WADA. But what would be curious to get your take 
if you have an opinion on what you think about fanatics yeah. and what that means for the future of you know cards and collectibles. And and just I want to add one little anecdote to it of I believe you've seen, you know, rights have changed in the past. And and, and that I, I think a lot of newer mem- members in the hobby that may be nervous about it haven't gone through that. So just wanted to drop that anecdote in there for you. Well, yeah, the biggest change that occurred in, in my lifetime, I, I don't know about like pre pre-80s, but like well, as far as I understand, Tops has had baseball since 1951. So that's a pretty big change. Basketball mm-hmm. and football have gone through changes. So I grew up with multi, I think all four of us grew up with multi-card company, basically competition. So, you know, Upper Deck had an NBA license, Tops had an NBA license, Fleer Skybox, Skybox before they got bought by Fleer, by Fleer. And then it all went to Panini in 2009, I think. And 12 was the first release of Prism. Mm-hmm. And we became, it became one company. I think football followed that similar path. And so, and in my opinion, you know, competition is a good thing. And, you know, the card company, I mean, the golden era for me, as far as design, my opinion of cards were the 90s. Um, I'm very biased and will always be so, but it is what it is. You know, Prism makes a good product, Panini with Prism. National Treasures is cool, but it's kind of, you know, in many ways, um, you know, very similar to Exquisite with Upper Deck. And, you know, it's it's kind of, there's a lot of parallels. It's kind of got, in my opinion, got sticker autos. And it's not just Panini, it's Tops as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really stagnant, in my opinion. Non-game worn, not associated, yeah, cloth. Yeah. yeah, there's 20 things. Redemptions, they're not sending back and whatever. So it's gotten very, um, I don't know, like unsexy kind of unrepent, yeah, stale stale stagnant so i think the fanatics if anything you know change is good because it's gotten stagnant uh, my fear is that of course it's now still one company in fact it's now really one company with all the leagues going to one so that said though fanatics is a very forward-leaning innovative company what they've done in apparel i think they'll grow i think the biggest thing i'm excited about is that they'll grow the hobby they have tons of people engaged with their brand i could totally see them putting cards in all the arenas and all their stores um, I think more exposure is a good thing. I think some, some people will say, well, that's not a good thing. You know, we, we, we like the way it is, but I think in general, we all mm-hmm. should want more kids, more collectors to get into it. Fanatics will do a good job of that. It remains to be seen if they know how to manufacture cards. I would assume they're going to buy or partner with one of the three companies. I hope they do. Cause it would be a shame to lose tops rookie baseball cards or Bowman Chrome or you know, if that stuff just goes into the ether, that would be really sad. But uh, I think change is good and we'll see what happens. Do you see the, the way you explain like the sticker autos and all that stuff? Like it's all become very repetitive. Do you think it's a staleness slash like I don't want to say laziness, but staleness is the word I'll use. Or do you think it's a scaling issue of like, all right, we got to get several thousand autos for a couple hundred players. Like th- I feel like that's not defending them in that way, but it's a real it's a pretty big challenge for like a significant amount of product every year to get them get that much stuff you know so i hear that i totally understand that and covid makes it harder but first of all sticker autos have been around since 2003 second of all you're charging more for the damn products and producing more of them if you're going to do that i mean in my opinion it should come. should level up your put yeah, in the effort like like don't you know you can't have your cake and eat it too you, you need to respect the collectors who are paying money for this stuff and ever increasing amounts of money uh, you know, it wasn't so long ago that a prison box was a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. You may remember that. I mean, 2012 prison was $60 when I first bought it. So, That's crazy. you know, what's a, what's a 2020 prison box now off the, off Panini's, 
you know, off the shelf. Thousand. Yeah, I think I saw one on lids for like twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, basketball is like fourteen hundred bucks a box. I mean, look, I, I'm going to be on my soapbox about this, but you know, when you're charging whatever that is, you know, twelve times the price, and you're still doing the same thing, you know, sticker autos, if not more of them, I understand scaling's hard. But look, I'll give you an example of PSA. We're scaling, but we're not going to scale if quality goes down. It's not going to happen. We're we're just not going to grade the cards. You know, we'll send them back to the customers if we have to. It's easy for me to say that because PSA is not the same as card manufacturing. I'm sure it's a totally different ballgame, but. You know, don't don't produce the cards if you can't produce a good product. Totally. Yeah, that's super fair. Can I also ask you, are there any modern players that you collect or modern sets that you're super interested in the way you're interested in the 90s stuff or no? I really look I, I every year, not every year, every three years, I'll pick like a rookie who who's exciting in just baseball and, and football or not football, excuse me, baseball and basketball and maybe every 10 years of football player. And so in basketball, I, I love Luca and Ja. I've definitely, I haven't done like LeBron was the one that I went kind of big on. The one I'm really embarrassed by is Gerald green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, wow. yeah. I'm not proud of that one. He was a Houston guy. So I kind of, yeah. you know, and he had, he had hops, but anyway, but um, I took a break. I licked, I licked my wounds on Gerald green for a while <laughs> and um, did Durant uh, a little bit. And I got, I unfortunately sold when I stopped liking him when he went to the Warriors. Um, yeah, Luca and um, and John basketball in baseball Acuna and Shohei, and then in football Mahomes. Yeah, so you stacked up a couple W's there. You can eat the Gerald Green money a little bit, I think. Mahomes is well. I bought him when in seventeen or eighteen, but it's not looking good <laughs> right now. Yeah. yeah, we've had fun combos with uh, Kafka, um, his quarterback coach, and, and collecting his stuff. That that's been fun. Uh, we've talked a lot of sports, Pokemon. Marvel, Fortnite. What's that been like, you know, kind of focus for the business? Are you seeing still mass influx in that? And is there any maybe, you know, cultural product that you're seeing do good stuff? You know, I think even the Marvel stuff's a little bit older, but anything you're keeping an eye on there? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I think 20, 30% of our PSA volume is is TCG, trading card games, which is Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, Digimon, like all this stuff. And it's you walk around the building like I do every day. I mean, it's everywhere, you know, and, and high value stuff too. It's not just the, yeah. you know, under hundred dollar value stuff. It's, it's, you know, walk through, you know, um, service levels here frequently. And we have a Japanese office in Japan and Tokyo and, you know, it's much higher percentage TCG comes, comes out of, out of that um, channel. For us. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's so non sports is, is growing really fast. The pop culture cards that we're watching. So, and, and oh, I should say two things. One, in sports, um, soccer and F one, and and boxing. Like we're seeing, we're seeing a. T- I'd say in that order. Boxing is interesting. We we don't talk boxing, but we talk soccer and F one on this. Yeah. So we see in, in, well boxing and UFC mm-hmm, for sure. I mean all sorts of stuff. I mean we're seeing like you know uh, sumo wrestling cards and like you know like these kind of like. Uh, cricket cards, yeah. tennis. Um, you saw a Serena card sold for like $40,000. So, um, but anyway, soccer in particular, I don't know if you read my editorial in the P- PSA magazine, but uh, this is a crazy stat. So we've been grading soccer cards since 1991, since we started. The entire population of PSA cards from January 1st this year to end of September doubled in, in our 30-year history. It doubled. Wow. In, in nine months 
over a three. <laughs> and so soccer is just, it's like up and to the right. F1 is not at the same pace, but it's, it's, it's growing super fast. Um, yeah, Marvel on the pop culture side, um, Marvel, uh, we're seeing great, we're seeing things like women of star Wars, game of Thrones cards, you know, a lot of the, that stuff, Fortnite and like some of the gaming cards for sure. I'm trying to think what else is, is kind of surprising us. Um, oh, we're seeing playing cards. Um, like brand, just certain like collab like type Uno, playing cards. Uno, yeah. like, you know, things, things like that, you know, they're, they're making come from like celebration sets or stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. We're seeing stuff like that. Um, we're getting asked to create checklists for them for the submission center. It's just a lot of cool stuff. Uh, it's definitely diversifying away. I mean, you know, basketball, baseball is less than 20% each. So yeah, kaboom. There we go. So Nat, it sounds like, again, you're, you're seeing a whole lot of different cars. There's a whole lot going on. And it sounds like, you know, at some point in the near future, you may be opening up different service level options. So in your mind, what is what does the next 18 to 24 months look like for for PSA? Two things. Yeah, it's a capacity growth. Um, you know, we're growing. Like I said, we're at 40,000 a day now. We need to be double that. You know, I'd love to be there by the end of the next year. It's, we have a goal of around there. And then technology innovation. So things like imaging, things like new features in the set registry, our mobile app, grading software to help the grading team. Uh, just innovation through software that allows us to both scale and do things for our customers. Um, we've got some really cool stuff coming. We call post-grading services. So once your cards are graded, you know, there's an ecosystem today that's very, I would say, missing, you know, infrastructure. Vaulting, marking pla- vaulting marketplace like type of infrastructure. Yeah, or in connecting with existing services like that. I mean, we're not, it's going to be exclusive um, to, to mm-hmm. our services. We're a platform at the end of the day, but, you know, just like Google has, you know, Android and I have a Pixel phone they, they create, but, you know, they sell Android to anyone who wants to create a phone. We're, we're similar. NFTs, digital collectibles, where you add as a, as a personal collector and has the conversation come up in the business at all? Yeah, it's not, frankly, I'm mean, almost every day. We, uh, I personally am dabbling. I'm not really into it yet. I'm starting to understand it more. Sports uh, digital collectibles is probably going to be where we start first. Um, Top Shot, so rare, you know what Candy's doing with baseball. Um, there's there's opportunity there because you know there is crossover with cards um, for you know like a PSA wallet, if you will, um, yeah. where it's part of your inventory of collection nice. collectibles. That's where those images can come into potentially. Yeah, so we're looking at that. Um, but yeah, we're not going to release our own or do anything. We, we get a lot of frequently asked questions around like, okay, every time you grade a card, will you create an NFT with that card? And I don't know. It's just, you know, we have this belief on the grading side of the business that it's almost like the anti-NFT company where it's all about embracing physical collectibles. And I think there's something really nice and beautiful about that. Um, you know, kind of like it's so funny. I, I just pulled out my cards because I got all excited about, about soccer and yeah. I haven't pulled them out in probably four weeks people forget, i have like uh, this weird like i have this weird thing going through me right now i just want to sit here and, and look at everything that i got people forget and, uh, people forget the the yeah the fun physical nature of cards as we've moved to instagram <laughs> yeah and, and and shows i think shows maybe is a good little way i don't know if if we got to jump you know in three minutes we've had an absolute blast going to shows networking with people and i know ryan you know we talk a ton about dollar boxes and all that is there a place for PSA to show up, be at shows? Obviously, they do on-site grading. 
And then how about yourself? Do you uh, do you like to frequent shows at all? Do you have a favorite show or anything? My favorite show is just local to me. It's the White Plains show in Westchester, um, north of Manhattan. Great show. It used to be. It's COVID, man. I mean, yeah. I don't go out to Hof- the Hofstra show. It's a little smaller and further drive for me. But they call that thing like the East Coast National, right? The Ho- yeah, Hofstra, Hofstra one. one is yeah. The one? <laughs> yeah, Hofstra show is cool. But I mean, the Westchester show is awesome. I, I mean, I have some great memories there with my now six-year-old. We we. I, I mean, honestly, before about the, I mean, I, six years ago, I would I would sit in line each ten years. I mean, I'd sit in line at the PSA. You know, I forgot oh. to fill out forms, and I'd freaking sit there. You know. So cool. Yeah, but I mean, we we want to take the show on the road um, with PSA. It's just it's COVID's tough, man. Like, yeah. You know, and by the way, it's a big effort. I mean, we got freaking like machines as tall as the ceiling that we need to bring to bring with us doing <laughs> totally. ceiling. But um, you know, like p- accepting drop-offs and submissions, that sort of thing. We're definitely open to that at shows. It's just hard right now. I, I can't even imagine what the what that back room at the National looks like for you guys. It's got to just be an absolute madhouse between the machines and the carts. We had, we had over 100 employees in that little, well, it wasn't little, we had the largest booth, but yeah. it's a, I mean, 10% of the company went to that show. That's insane. Yeah, we produced, uh, we, we did over, 10, I think, 10,000 carts we did. Um, pretty close. Wow. Four days. On site at the National? Yeah. We didn't bring a single cart home with us. Wow. Good for and you guys. That's awesome. Weird. We had scanners. We had we had the whole setup there. That's a real achievement. It was cool. Yeah, I had nothing to do with it. The team did a great job. It was awesome. I just I just got. Some I I just think it's super cool that you were standing online filling out PSA forms. Yeah, I love that company. <laughs> I love that. It's pretty good job by you, Nat. <laughs> so, Nat, I I think the both of us could, uh, or all three of us could sit here and ask you questions all day, but we certainly want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so, closing it up here, kind of a again a one-off question, but you've obviously been able to accomplish such a lot at such a young age, been very successful in the business world. And a lot of card people now are trying to build their own businesses and, you know, make something of themselves in really this new era of sports cards. And I was just curious if if you could only give that person one piece of advice um, to build a successful business now, what would that piece of advice be? In cards or just in general? Uh, just in general, more like an yeah, entrepreneur, yeah. which seems like everyone is nowadays or has the capacity to be. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's awesome that people, including myself, are getting into cards as a, as a, not just a hobby, but as a, you know, enterprise. I think that's going to only lead to better things. I mean, my advice is to, you know, and when, if you've already, well, if you haven't started is just to get, I say that it's super cliche, but just get started. There's so many people who are like, oh, I don't have the right idea. I haven't met a good co-founder, like whatever. Those are just excuses to just get started, you know, learn how to code. That's not an excuse. If you don't know how to code, there's Lambda school, there's, you know, tons of places you can, and then three to six weeks at night, you know, a couple hours a day, you can be a coder after a few weeks. Like it's not that, it's not that hard these days, honestly. And uh, just get started. And then if you've already started, my advice would be to really choose who you're working with. Um, your first five to 10 people hires are co-founders, partners, whatever, are make or break. You know, if you choose to do business with the wrong person, you know, just really due diligence. And if someone is still not willing to quit their job and you did or whatever, like you have to be in the same boat, be, you know, have great a great trust and relationship with each other. Otherwise it's not going to, something will happen and then the company won't work. It's the biggest thing I see in company failures is the initial team. Just, you know, there's a bad apple and, uh, or there's a falling out amongst co-founders or partners and the company's from that. Makes sense. Very cool. Cool. 
You got anything you want to sign off with, Nat? Otherwise, I'm good. we're good. This I got to get back fun. to work. <laughs> yeah, this is good stuff. Likewise, for the boys. Thank really you, Nat. Appreciate it. Really, thank yeah. you for taking thank the you, time, Nat. Yeah. It's been fun. I'll appreciate it. it. All the best. See you. See you. That's a wrap on Card Talk this week. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen and get notified when we publish a new episode. It'd mean the world to us if you gave us a five-star rating and shared this episode with a friend. We'd love to answer your questions, so email us at cardtalkpod at gmail.com and we'll get to it in the next episode. Card Talk is a 1.37 p.m. podcast and a Gallery Media Group original production.